from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And as I said, I'll be speaking on this subject, Saints Alive. This is where we start to come alive in our riches that we have. Uh, as we saw in verses, or in chapter 1, when Brian was speaking last week, uh, that wonderful prayer. Now this week, I want to see where we start as saints to start to come alive, and we start to see the fruit of the blessings that God gives us. So I've given you time to find it. You found it. I want you to say amen that you found it, and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And this is what we find in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, but God, say that with me, but God, but God, but God, one more time, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, and God beforehand, which God prepared for beforehand so that we would walk in them. Say it with me one more time, but God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those two short words that have meant so much for so many people. Father, in fact, it defines our eternity, but God. Father, sinners once lost in ourselves and in this world, lost in our own minds, given to our own lusts, given to the conformity of the world, but God saved us. And Father, this morning, if there is someone that cannot say those two words, but God, confidently today, then I pray, Father, that you'll oppress upon their hearts what it means to be saved, what it meant at Calvary for your son Jesus Christ, and what it means for us. May you make it abundantly clear, those two words today, but God, in the life of the saint and the sinner alike that gathered here today. And as a result, Father, may you receive the glory through your children and those, Father, who are not yet called. So, Father, I pray that you'll place a conviction on those that have not been called. I pray that, pray that you'll place it on their heart, as your word says, that none can come to Jesus Christ who sent him, but you who have drawn them. So, Father, I pray that that drawing process begin this morning in the hearts and the mind of anyone here that does not believe your son, Jesus Christ, has died for them. And I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated.
Have any of you noticed, and I know some of you that don't see me that often probably haven't noticed, but those of you who have seen me just about every week, did you notice there was something different about me this morning? Anybody notice? What's that? I was more handsome? That's correct. That would be right. That I shaved? Oh, wow. Was I looking pretty rough there for a while? No, I, I have on a different pair of glasses. It's very minor. You probably didn't notice. But these glasses are about four years old now. And, and my glasses broke this week. I ran over them with the lawnmower. I'm going to be honest with you. I ran into a spider web, and I did one of these numbers, and my glasses flew off, and the front tire of my lawnmower ran over them. But I'm, I'm making a point here. I, I, I have new old glasses, I guess you could say. My, my glasses, the arm just, it, hang, it, it, it was there for a couple of days, and it was twisting and turning, finally fell off. Well, let's get real. Nikki knocked me in the head one time, and they was playing. But this was all I had. Now, the last pair I had would have been a little bit better because I could have seen out of them a little bit better. They were a little bit newer prescription, but I couldn't find them. So these are, these are like two cycles ago. And man, I'm having a hard time this week at work. I've been getting headaches, and it's because my glasses, I can't see as well as I was last week. Now, I've, I've, I went to the doctor. I ordered new glasses. They should be in sometime this week. They better be because I paid enough for them. I think I paid enough to ship everybody's glasses in the country. They should be in, but my point is, is that I've had a hard time seeing things this week. And as, if you noticed, I stumbled a couple of times. My arm's getting farther and farther because I, I couldn't see it. And I stumbled a couple times reading, and I've had a hard time studying this week, doing my job, because of one little change in my life. And, and I couldn't see what I once could see. Or I could see it, but not as clearly as I once could see it. Now, what, what, what kind of silly illustration am I using with these glasses that are out of date and are pretty much useless to me now? My point is this, is that sometimes as a Christian, we walk through life and we begin to let the things that God has done for us kind of blur in the background. And one of those things is when we've come to know Christ and the blessings that he has impressed upon our lives. One of those things that we blur in the background of our mind is just how good God is to us. And sometimes we need to be reminded of just how clear things once were. Last week things were so clear to me before my glasses broke and now things are not so clear. As a Christian we get into that rut. You know, I didn't know what I was going to say. God used this illustration. He says, I, I need a way to explain this. I don't know, maybe God had me break my glasses on purpose. I don't know, but I do know this. I cannot see as well as I once did, and sometimes in our Christian walk, we can't see once as we, well, as, as we did before. We need to be reminded of what God has done for us, and that's what I hope to do. Now, before I got my first pair of glasses, man, I was struggling. How many of you wore glasses? I mean, a lot of you have them on now. A lot of you wear contacts. You know the struggle with glasses. They're a struggle. You walk in the rain, they get wet. You try to put them in your pocket, they bend. You pull them back out. You have to clean them often. You have to take care of them. You have to wash them. You have to put them up at night. You have to get the sleep out of your eyes to put them. Glasses sometimes are a struggle. Something we don't really notice, but it's a struggle. And sometimes the Christian walks a struggle, and we can begin to blur the lines between God's blessings and what the world is handing us every day. And it allows the, the lines to get blurred. Now, before I had glasses, I couldn't see a lick, man. My, I was getting headaches all the time. I would look at things, and they would kind of twinkle and turn, and I didn't understand it. I got confused. 
And, and it was a good picture of who I was as a sinner before I came to know Christ. Before I was a believer, things twisted and turned. The, compu- the, the, the truth got, it, it got twisted. It got disorganized in my head, and I just didn't understand what was going on. And that's because I didn't have a clue as to what Jesus Christ had done in my life. But then after I got glasses, I began to see things. After I got saved, I began to see things clear what Christ had done for me. Now, it started up leading to that, that Christ was unveiling these things that he had done in my life, and he used godly men and women to do it, and he used the church to do it. And as I began to see clearly, I noticed that I too, myself, over the years walking in the Christian walk, would begin to blur the lines between God's blessings and the garbage that the world hands me every day. We just get like that. We're people. We're human. Thanks be to God that he knows that. And as Walter pointed out very clearly this morning in our Life Connect group, that there's a past there, that there's a way that God sees that past. And the questions that were asked this morning was, how does God see sin in your past? Or how does God view this? And, and how should you to, to uh, show your appreciation and your thankfulness that God has forgiven you and saved you? You really have to unblur the lines to answer those questions. So what I'd like to do this morning is to try to unblur those lines just a little bit to find out, as saints, we're alive, man. around sometimes like we're dead because the, the world just piles on top of us and, and it seems like we're in a casket sometimes that we can't get out. And somebody on the outside is holding the key to that casket and we feel like we're dying inside of ourselves. Because we've let the, the lines get blurred and we cannot see exactly what Christ has done for us. So I want to take us on a little bit of a painful journey this morning to see where we were in the past. I want you to take a personal journey of the past and let's see where you were. And, and the first point is this, and I, I've had them put it on the board. It's from sin to salvation. I want us to see where we were, where we were going, and where we ended up. And it doesn't stop here as to where we're ended up now because it gets even better. I shared with someone this morning, the next greatest words that you will ever hear spoken to you are, uh, are uh, the words before when you meet uh, Jesus face to face and he says, uh, very well done, my good and faithful servant. Those are the greatest words that a Christian is ever going to hear from the time that they hear that they are forgiven and that Jesus came into their life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So from sin to salvation, in verses 1, I'm going to go through this scripture one verse at a time. I want us to see exactly what God has in store for us here. I want you to see where he took us from and where he's headed us, where he's put us on, on which heading he has put us. I'm sorry for stammering and stammering, but my, my words are jumping all over the place as I've already explained. But the first thing that I want us to see is this, and that's very important why your notes there this morning, is that we were... Now, before you put that word in there, we were dead, I want you to write your name in there. I want you to write your name. Husbands and wives, don't don't write your husband's or your wife's name in there. This is personal. It's about you. Don't, well, my wife's just as dead as a doornail. Don't do that. She might read it later, and you're going to be in a lot of trouble on Father's Day. But I want you to know, before you became a Christian, you were dead. You were spiritually dead. Now, I I don't have to go back and explain this. I talk about being spiritually dead, being spiritually alive. I've explained that through Scripture. And you all know what it means to be spiritually dead. 
See, we were once dead. In verse 1, it tells us, what, what's the first thing it tells us? You were what? You were dead. You were dead. There was no spiritual life in you whatsoever. You couldn't comprehend the things of God. You didn't understand the things of God. You didn't know why Christ died for you. You were dead. Spiritually, you were dead. You see, spiritually dead means this. When you are spiritually dead, it simply means that you are God. That's all it means. It means that you just have no relationship with him whatsoever. You can't comprehend the things he's telling you. If you were in first grade and you started taking a college course, it would be Japanese to you. You would have no idea, no comprehension of what was going on. None whatsoever. As a sinner, we were dead. We were spiritually dead. There was a separation there between God and ourselves. That's because Isaiah 59, 2 says, your iniquities have caused a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So what, what is spiritually dead? It's being separated from God. Now, the problem with that is, is if you leave this world without God, that separation never ceases to exist. It never closes up. The gap never gets smaller. And when you leave this world without Christ, that separation will be there for all of eternity. Not only will you be dead physically, but then you will be also be dead spiritually. But there's the body and the spirit. I want to explain this to see where you were. I want us to understand where we were because Paul was trying to tell the Ephesians, this is where you once were. And then he's going to get into the good news of where they are in Christ Jesus. You see, there's body and the spirit. The body, when it is physically dead cannot respond to hunger. Our physical body cannot respond to taste or touch or thirst or comfort or pleasure. The body physically, when it's dead, cannot experience any of those things in the physical, in the physical realm. Feel any of those things. It cannot, exp it cannot express emotion. It cannot feel things emotionally. It has no conscience. A dead body has no conscience physically. And just as the dead physical body cannot accomplish any of these things, the body, when it is dead spiritually, even though it is physically alive, and I can feel touch, and I can see, and I can hear, and I can taste, and I can whisper, and I can yell, and, and I can sleep, and I can eat, when the body is dead spiritually, it cannot understand or comprehend spiritual things. Just as a dead body can't experience certain things, the body that is dead spiritually cannot, cannot understand certain things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, to back up what I'm telling you, says, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. So a spiritually dead person cannot understand the things of God. This is, do you understand this is where you were? Do you understand that this is what Paul was telling the Ephesians? You were once dead spiritually. You were separated from God because of your sin. So we need to understand that spiritually. But there was a second thing that we were when we were sinners, and that's that we were disobedient. Now, in that line there on your notes, I want you again, I want you to write your name. I think you'll see a pattern here soon. But see, before you were saved... You were disobedient. If I, if I had some note ups, notes up here, I would put in here, Troy was disobedient. And I would probably put behind that, amen, 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 because I was extremely disobedient to God before I came to know him. So we were, we were dead and we were disobedient. There's a natural tendency for us to be disobedient. Do you know that? 
I mean, when you see a little child who hasn't learned anything, they'll pick something up, they'll throw it across the room, and they'll do this right here. You don't have to teach them that. They know they did wrong. Just some things they know at a very early age. They might, they might push a, a, one of their playmates down and then look up as if, did anybody see that? Because they knew what they had done was wrong. You don't have to teach that. There's a natural tendency for the human being to act disobedient. We acted like sinners. You know why? Because we were. That's why we acted that way. It's the fallen nature into which we were born. And this goes all the way back to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, which I won't get into, but it comes back to the fall of man in and, and, and Genesis chapter 3. Satan, who was the prince of the power of the air that we just read about, when you see it says you were dead in your trespasses, too, which you formerly walked to the course of uh, to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, who has been given control and, and dominion over governments and over organizations. Satan, the prince the, of the power of the air, was disobedient. He himself was disobedient, and now he influences others to be dis disobedient. Now, what is Satan's influence? He continues to persuade us to be disobedient. As I shared with someone this morning, just because you're a Christian now doesn't mean that you're not going to face struggles. Doesn't mean that God has just paved everything with gold and you'll never have another problem in your life. We are going to experience problems. We're going to experience temptation. We're even going to sin from time to time. And I believe that that was brought up this morning as well in our Life Connect group. We are going to sin from time to time. Satan continues to try to influence us to be disobedient. That's why it says the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience in verse 2. Even though you are saved, Satan will still try to persuade you to be disobedient. This is why we acted like sinners. This is who we once were. This is who you once were, and this is who I once was. He might not attack us himself. You see, Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, there's some demonic cronies that Satan has. That's what I like to call them, cronies. They're up to no good. You know what a crony is? They're up to no good. They're up to mischief. They're the riffraff. And Satan's, Satan's little cronies get out there and try to persuade us. You know why? Because Satan's not omnipresent. I want everybody to be very clear on this. Satan is not omnipresent as God is. Only God and his Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Satan is not. But the demonic forces that are with Satan, the fallen angels, do try to persuade us to be disobedient. I just want to throw that in there to make sure that there's no confusion left. So no one has any questions. It's Satan's MO. It's his method of operation. He's always worked to get others to be disobedient. That is what he has done since the beginning of time. Since the beginning, as we see with Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan tried to persuade them to be disobedient. In Genesis 2.17, let's look at it ourselves. In Genesis 2.17, it says, From the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. This is what God was saying to Adam and Eve. For in the day that you eat from this, you will surely die. Now that was the truth handed down by God. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, listen to what the serpent says. The certain serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. He just contradicted what God had instructed them to not do. He said, as long as you stay away from it, you'll never die. Or, or you will die. If you, if you get near it, if you partake of it, you will die. Satan tries to come along and persuade him to do otherwise. And the first thing he does is spit out a lie. 
So it's Satan's method of operation. It's how he's always operated. It's how he operated in your life, and it's how he operates in the lives of sinners today. But there's a third thing that we are, that we were before we became sinners, before we became saved. As a sinner, we were depraved. Look in verse 3, and I want to explain that word depraved. It means that we were incapable of pleasing God. It means evil thoughts and things of that nature, but down to the grassroots, it means that we're incapable of pleasing God. That's what a depraved person means. And in verse 3, it says, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That is someone who is depraved. That is someone who is incapable of pleasing God. Because when we give into our lusts of the flesh, that doesn't please God. When we are controlled by wrath and by the, by the prince of the power of the air, that doesn't please God. You see, we were incapable of pleasing God. And Paul was trying to get the point across that before you were, before you were saved, you were incapable of pleasing God. So we are depraved. And in there, I want you to put in there, again, your name. Don't put we were or I was or us or anything else. Put your name that you were depraved. I want you to see where you were. I told you it would be a little bit of a painful road to go down as to who you once were. Even people can do good things for others uh, and, not, and still not be able to please God. You ever know somebody's just a good person? Man, they help each other out. They, they, they coach people. They, they influence people. They encourage people. They're just, they're just as lost as they can be, but they're just good people. They're incapable of pleasing God. You see, they might be able to please others, but they're incapable of pleasing God because they don't comprehend anything from God because they're dead, because, because they're disobedient. Now there's a third thing that the sinner is, and that is, is that a sinner is doomed. Look what it says else in verse 3 that I just read. It says that that last part, that we were, we were children of wrath even as the rest. You see, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn us. As a matter of fact, in John 3, 16, would you say it with me? For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now we all know what that means. We all have read it, we've recited it, we see it on sports uh, shows. You'll see a guy on the back with John 3.16 written on his banner. We've all memorized it. We've, we've looked at it in Sunday school. But in John 3.17, listen to what it says. God did not send the Son in the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus didn't come out here to point out your sin. You remember, he didn't come and say, you know, when you were 11 years old, I saw you smoke a cigarette behind the garage. I saw it. Keep an eye on you. He never did any of that. He didn't point out our individual sin. It says, he who believes in him is not judged or condemned. He who does not believe has been judged or condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, before we were believers, before we were saved, we were doomed. You know why? Because we were already condemned. Our, our sins condemn ourselves. Jesus doesn't need to come down here and condemn us. Jesus didn't need to come down and, 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 and punish us. Rembert knows he smoked that cigarette behind that garage. I hope that's not a true story, brother. If I did, it's completely coincidental, I promise. He, he, didn't, he didn't come down here to point out that I might have cussed out a little boy in the third grade when we, were playing, when we were playing on the monkey bars and he took my bar and I didn't like it. That is a true story, by the way, remember? You can use that if you'd like. But 
he didn't come down here to tell us. He came down here to save us from that. And John 3.17, is, is, it would do you well to, to, to uh, listen and to learn that verse, stand it, to study it, and memorize it in your mind. Because without Christ, we are doomed. We're all of these things. The truth of the matter is that before we were saved, we were all of these things. The truth of the matter is, is if you're here today and you've not been saved, you're still all of these things. But God. But God. Say it with me. But God. One more time. But God. You see, that's where we're going to lead into next. Because we're looking at our sin to where we are now in salvation. I want us to see that when God said, but God, he changes everything around. This is an opportunity in those two short words, but God, to know who Christ is. And we were all, if you're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ today, you were all in between those two words at some point. But God, you were right there where those two words are. You were right there in the middle, waiting for Christ to save you. And all you had to do was cry out. All you had to do was call on the name of Jesus Christ. And God's word says, if you call on the name of Jesus Christ, it is the only name under heaven by which you shall be saved. So when you were in that, in that transition period of but God, God came along and he turned it all around and he took that salvation and he turned it to blessings. So I want to look at from salvation to blessings because we were all of those things and Paul was pointing this out to the Ephesians. So now what I want to do is kind of take off that painful road there. When, when I went hiking, man, I had such a great time. There was a hill that was so painful and I couldn't wait to get off of it. I was looking for some flat low country ground in Charleston. That was I was looking for, man. I was looking for a flat street. When you go to my house out in Ondaw and you go down Seawee Road, man, it's as flat as you can get it. Unless you run over a rock, it's just flat. And I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice to be walking on Seawee Road right now? And I was looking at an incline, I don't know, it seemed to me about 120 degrees, but I know it was a little less than that. But I thought about that thing. And I thought about it. But listen, it would have been a blessing for me to be on a flat road, but Christ has saved me from salvation to blessings. Now that we're off that painful road, I want to look at what God has done for us. You see, the first thing that I want to look at in verse 4, and let's read verse 4, it says, but God, being rich in mercy. You notice there's no negativity in this. Verses 1 through 3 is very negative. It brings up all the things that we were. He's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. The first thing that I want you to know is that God loves us. Now in that line right there, if you're saved by grace, then I want you to write your name. God loves Tara. God loves Miranda. God loves Bill. God loves Richie. God loves Freddie. God loves Carl. I want you to write your name in there because you see, God is love. Verse 4, he says, right there, he says, but God being rich in mercy because of his what? His great love. You know you'd be hard-pressed hard to find in the Bible anywhere it says God loves you? Did you know that? Try to find it. There's a point that I'm saying this. Troy, why would you point that out? Because I want you to understand, God's not capable of not loving us. 
God is love. It's not, what, it's not just what God does. It's who God is. God is love. And in fact, the scripture tells us in 1 John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God for God is what? Say it with me. God is love. You see, it's who God is. So he can't help but love us. Even the sinner, even before you came to know Christ, he loved you. How can you say that he loved me even while I was a sinner? Because if he didn't, he would have let you perish. But God's word says that he wishes none should perish. None should die that spiritual death that I talked about earlier. He doesn't want any of us to die. He wants us all to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. Why? So he can have fellowship with us. So God is love. It's who he is. He can't help it. Because he loves, because he, because he does love us, he wants to save us. So how does God manifest that love to us? How does he manifest that love to us? You know, God is faithful. We've heard that. How does God manifest his faithfulness to us? How does he do it? He shows us that he trusts us, and he makes a relationship between us. So faithfulness is really manifested a lot through trust. So how is God's love manifested in our life? What does it look like? How does it come about? How, How is this? How does God manifest love to us through his mercy? Look what it says in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, you see, God manifests his love through mercy. Because he loves us, it comes out as mercy. Look what else it says in, uh, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 7. Down at verse 7, look what else it says. It says, so that in the ages to come, he might, God might show you the surpassing riches of his grace. You see, God's love is manifested in your life as mercy and grace. God, period. Final answer, Regis. Final answer. He manifests it through mercy and grace. Now, not only does God love you, but God gives you something. He gives you life. And through the scripture here, Paul's pointing out to the Ephesians what God has done for him. He gives us, he gives, he loves us and he gives us life. Look what it says in verse five. And in that, in that line there, I want you to put your name. If you're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, put your name in there. God loves you. You see, God, he gives us life. Verse five, it says, verse five, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God actually brought us alive. That's why I titled the sermon, Saints Alive. We were once dead. We were once all of those negative things that we looked at. We all walked down that painful road. But God loves us. But God gives us life. But God saves us. But God is faithful. But God is just. Man, if this doesn't make you excited, I don't know what will. I have to start passing out $100 bills. Man, this is good stuff. This is what God has brought you from. And now he loves you. The creator of everything that has ever been created loves you. Man, that just, I can't comprehend that sometimes. The love that God has for me, somebody who's been as bad and as ugly as I have been. He gives us a life we don't deserve. Because of his love, his mercy, and his grace, we are given that life. We don't deserve a new life in Christ. You know what we do deserve? We deserve a wrath, a fire. That's what we deserve. 
because we were so disobedient, because we were dead, because we were separated, because we treated him so badly. That's what we deserve. But because of his mercy and his grace, God gives us what we don't deserve. Even while we were dead in our sin, he saved us and gave us that life. He not only gives us a life that we don't deserve, but he gives us a spiritual life. When God saves us, he makes us alive together with Christ. And that's exactly what he says in verse 5. What does he say? He made us alive with who? With Christ. He doesn't just give us any life. He doesn't just give us a, a spiritual life. He gives us a spiritual life with Christ. You, you can have a spiritual life with Mahatma Gandhi, but it doesn't mean you're saved. You, you can have a, a, a spiritual life with the Dalai Lama. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It just means your spirituality is a little misguided. Troy, how can you sit up there and speak against other religions? Because God's word says that the only name by which a man can be saved is through the name of Jesus Christ. That's why. Amen. And let me move on. Man, I was so excited to preach this message this morning. He gives us a spiritual life with Christ, but he also gives us an eternal life. John 3.16, which we all said, but listen to what John, 1 John 5.11 and 12 says. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and life, and that life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have that life. God gave us a life in Jesus Christ, a spiritual life in Jesus Christ. He took us away from that painful road and dusted us off, and he's given us all things. This is what else God does. He lifts us up. And if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, I want you to write your name in there. God lifts you up. Verse 6. Verse 6, it says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. He raised us up. You know what, you know what Christ did? He exalted us. You know what we refuse to do a lot as Christians? We don't exalt Christ. We're the ones that should be lifting Christ up in our lives. Christ here says, Paul says here that Christ lift us up. And man, I, we got it backwards, guys. We live our lives trying to, to get through every day, and we forget about exalting Christ. We, we forget about lifting him up in our lives so people can see him. But here we see that God not only gives us life, but he lifts us up. He exalts us. He exalts us. We should exalt him. Our spiritual place is with Christ, who is now at the right hand of God. As Brian pointed that out last week, in verses, I think it's 20, 19 and 20, when Brian pointed that out in, in, in chapter 1, and, and I wanted to refer back to that, because Christ lifted us up with him. He exalted us with him. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And he calls us friend, he calls us child. So he lifts us up. As a child of God, we may be here on this earth and in this life physically, but our place is spiritually in heaven with Christ. He has exalted us. In other words, we're of this world, but we're in this world, but we're not of this world, as Jesus said. And God remains with you. Now again, in that line there, I want you to write your name. He remains with us here on earth, and he remains, for, remains with us for all of eternity. You are saved while you're here in this life. But look what else that it says. Verse 7, it says, So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing richness of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. This does not only mean that he will be in your life now when you're here on this earth physically, 
But when you leave this physical body, for all ages to come, you will be with Christ forever and ever. Amen. You see how Paul has laid that out so wonderfully, so beautifully? To say this is where you were and this is, this is where you are now, exalted with Christ. Man, you can come forward. And I'm going to look at this last part very briefly. So we've come from salvation to blessings. Are from sin to salvation, from salvation to the blessings. What are the blessings? The blessings that God loves us, God gives us life, God lifts us up, and God remains with us for all time. God is forever and ever. Those are the blessings. And let's look from those blessings to great works because God has given you great blessings, but then God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, you're on your own. Kimberly, Mike, and Gregory, when you've come to know Christ now, listen, and, and you're going to be baptized next week, which, what you need to realize is that it's not finished. God is going to continue to work through you, and he's going to work in you so they can work through you. And, and those are my last two points. You see, God works in, and put your name right there. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, he works in you. If he's not, you're not allowing him to. And the second thing is, is that God works through us. When God works in us, he's given us a new life. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things, our new things, have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, we are his workmanship. Christ worked in us. What was his workmanship? To be more like Christ. In, in Romans 8, 29, it says, those who foreknew, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, Christ is working in your life to make you more like Christ. Did you realize that? It's not finished because he blessed you. He's not saying, okay, now you figure it out the rest of the way on, in this world. No, Christ is going to continue to work in you. Why? Because he wants you to be more like Christ. And that's exactly what he's telling us. And God works through us. In verses 2 and 10, we clearly see two things. There's evil works in verse 2. It says, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You see, there's evil works out there that Satan will work through you. But then there's good works that God will work through you. In verse 10, listen to what it says. And I will wrap this up. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. As we've said time and time again, you're not saved by your good works. When you are saved, you will do good works. Which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So Christ not only works in us, but he works through us. Now, I want to look at this one last thing before I... Leave and Rachel, if you come forward, I'd appreciate it. Ed, if you're Ed's up there, Rachel, if you could come forward. I want to ask you one last thing as they sing. I want you to look at those papers that you have, and I want to look at your. Want you to look at your name. You know, in those in that first point, from sin to blessings, those are very truthful statements, aren't they? Everyone in here, saints and sinners alike, if you're if you're a believer or unbeliever, those are true statements. They're true. Don't try, to, don't try to twist it. They're true statements. Now look at the second point. From salvation to blessings. Are those statements still true? Are they true? If, if you read them just by itself, 
Are they true? Is it real? Look, look at the third point, that God works in you. If you don't see him working in you, there's a problem. If you don't see him working through you, there's a problem. If those second two points are not true, then I would say you need to analyze and look at your salvation closely and find out if it's authentic. Because if those statements are not true in your life and in your mind, then you need Christ. And I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about it. While we're singing this song, and if God just begins to lay it on your heart, and you want to pray with one of us, you want to talk to us, you want to ask that question, I would ask you to come forward. I'll be here after service. If, if it's not the time and you want to talk to me after service, that's fine as well. But even throughout the week, I want you to pray about those statements and say, are these true? Because if they don't line up with who you are, there's a problem with your salvation. Please don't take that lightly. Please don't think I'm being critical. I just want to be in heaven with you. God doesn't wish that any should perish. Why would I want you to? Think about those. Read those statements and pray over them. As we sing and through the rest of this week, the weeks and the years to come, until you can answer those questions confidently.